you got your scriptures this morning, uh, turn over to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. Uh, let's bow as we uh, go into our Christmas message this morning. Heavenly Father, this time of year is, a, is just an amazing time of year. It's a time of giving and a time of serving. And Lord, I just pray that we may give our lives completely to you. We praise you so much for the, the worship this morning, a reminder of uh, the Christ child, and that we celebrate his birth. And that, Lord, it changed everything. Lord, be with me this morning, that every word that I say, that I bring glory to you. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Uh, it's, it's a pretty amazing time of year. Uh, actually, I love really early mornings uh, this time of year because nobody's out yet. And you just kind of soak it in. And I'm, I'm kind of crazy. I'm actually looking forward. I hope we get some snow. Uh, I don't know if any of you are looking forward to that. Uh, we were talking to some folks coming in, and they said... Uh, I would love to have, if you're like me, love to have a great snow today, and then tomorrow, boom, spring break, 65, and uh, whatever, you're awesome. Um, and I know a lot of you, this time of year is a really special time because you have so many traditions. Uh, one of the things that uh, we like to do around the Robertson House is kind of like to watch Christmas movies, so we didn't get a really chance to watch many Christmas movies this season, so the last couple of days, uh, Marie chose a movie on Netflix, it's a new one out called The Prince. Uh, it's okay. And then she let me choose last night's movie, uh, and I, I got to be honest, it brought a lot of warm fuzzies to me. Maybe you've seen it, Die Hard, a great, <laughs> if you haven't seen it, it's a great Christmas movie. Um, but all of us have these powerful traditions that we think about and we reflect upon at Christmas. And uh, as we get into uh, the theme today, the Advent theme of time, it's a, it's a critical thing to talk about because of all the gifts uh, when we think about Christmas and surrounded by gift giving, the greatest gift, I, I really believe, is time. And that's what we're going to look at, the power of time. How important is time? Well, if you go on Amazon and you just uh, put in time management, you'll find 85,289 results. There's a lot of people searching for ways to make the very most of their time. I love this quote by Harvey Mackey. He's a business expert. He said, time is free, but it's priceless. You can't own it, but you can use it. You can't keep it, but you can spend it. And once it's lost, you can never get it back. Now, that's not, you know, you don't want to take that and put it inside a Christmas card. I get it. It's a little depressing, but it's true. Time is truly priceless. As a matter of fact, Ben Franklin said this, time is what? Money. But I'll tell you what I believe with all my heart. I think time, the older I get, is actually more valuable than money. I guarantee some of you would look back right now, and this is going to be a rough Christmas for you because maybe somebody you love is not with you any longer, and what you would do for just an hour, you would cherish that time. We know how valuable time is. James 4:13 and 14 says this, Now listen when you say, Today or tomorrow, we'll go and do this in the city. We'll spend a year there carry on our business, and make money. Why do, you, why do you not know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if this is the Lord's will, we will live and do this and do that. Life is truly a mist. I think that's a great description. I'll tell you, when I, I remember this conversation vividly. Um, after I graduated high school, uh, went to college the next year, kind of struggled through my freshman year, 
um, and survived. Then got back with all my buddies, and uh, we said, hey, for the fun of it, let's just go to the graduation uh, at our old high school and make fun of the graduates. So anyway, we did. We stood there, and this was a conversation. I remember it vividly. I said, you know, they, they say times is flies. I don't know about you guys, but I don't think it's flying at all. That's the last time I had that conversation. That's why I remember the conversation, because it's just like a time warp. All of a sudden, it just seems like time just really sped up. Matter of fact, when you're young, if you think about this, time kind of drags along. Uh, think about Christmas when you were a kid. Those 25 days leading up to Christmas lasted an eternity. Now, how long do those 25 days last if you're a parent or grandparent? They just fly by. Or when you're putting the ornaments on. Every Christmas, Marie and I, as we put the ornaments on, it just seems like time's flying by. I'm like, wow, our first Christmas was then, and our, our first child's ornament here, and, and uh, even the dogs we've had over the years, we have ornaments for those. And, we're look, and all these memories, you just realize, man, time just flies by. And because of that, we need to value all the moments that God has given us in our life. That's why today we're going to get into a, a really neat theme, and we're going to look at a a group of folks that uh, many times have been misunderstood, but I think teach us some valuable lessons about time, and that is we're going to talk about the Magi, or also called the wise men. And there's some things, hopefully you'll learn today, some things that I've learned, actually, in studying this. Uh, so every time when you see the nativity scene, and you think about the nativity, and you think about the Magi, I want you to think about time and what they taught us. First of all, who are the Magi, or another phrase is the wise men. Well, the word Magi uh, is from the Greek word magos, and you'll actually find it again in Acts 13.6, and it means magic or magician. And it's interesting that the uh, historian Josephus, who is also a scholar, agreed that the magi were actually from an ancient uh, priestly caste or family, religious leaders from Persia. Now that's important because we understand the commitment that they made. And one of the things that they did, this particular group, is they studied astrology and sacred writings. And a lot of scholars believe that there was actually uh, some Hebrew leaders that might have even been a part of this party that came from Persia. But they had studied the sacred text. And so they studied words from the books of Daniel and the books of Isaiah. And when they studied specifically Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 26, they found out that there would be a chosen one, a king, a prince of Israel, and that he would return and come into this world 483 years after the Persian emperor passed away. So they looked at the last Persian emperor, and they put it on a timeline, and then they started looking for a sign of this king that they knew was going to be in Israel, and they, they were almost assured that it was going to be in Jerusalem. Now, anybody know what the sign was that turned out? was the star. Now, it's interesting that scholars, uh, if you look at the Greek word aster, it's mentioned 24 times in the scripture, and every time it's a specific star. See, there's some folks that say it really wasn't a star. Maybe it was just a random light display, or maybe it was angels that led them. It, no, I really believe that it was a star. Matter of fact, some of the astrologers today with not modern technology have identified that it's very possible that it was the alignment between Jupiter and Saturn that had this amazing light. And Isaiah 60, if you want to read some scripture today that I think is great text on Christmas, Isaiah 60 verses 1 through 7 talks about God's glorious light coming to earth. 
So here's what I think was going on. I think there was this group of leaders, and I think they kept looking at the sacred text, and they knew that this king was coming, and when they saw that star, they lined that up, and they realized there's the star, and that star is leading us to Jerusalem, and they set on their way. Now, you want to talk about a commitment of time? It's estimated that he traveled a minimum of six and probably 900 miles one way on that journey. Now, here's another misconception. Uh, I've had this for years, and I did some digging. I'm like, I bet this is true. Uh, you know, we always have that picture of it's got this beautiful star, and they're on their camels. And their thing is, that's probably not how they traveled, because they were traveling six to 900 miles. That most likely they traveled on what would be trained as a war horse, and that it actually wasn't probably three like we always picture in the Christmas cards, but it was a group that could have been anywhere from a dozen to 16. And we'll get to that a little bit later, but this Magi is an amazing group. And what we're going to talk about is how important it is that we follow their journey with the same urgency, that we realize that God did whatever it took to get their attention. He used a star to lead them to the Christ child. And here's something I want all of us to recognize this morning is that God will do whatever it takes to reach people wherever they are. Man, just repeat that with me. God will do whatever it takes to reach people wherever they are. And for them, as they were desperately seeking a Christ child and a king, what did he use? He used a star. But here's what I love when I talk to people behind the scenes about their faith journey. I love to just ask them, tell me your faith story. And I've never heard identical faith stories. Everybody found Christ in a different way. Maybe it was in church or a conversation or at camp or a song. I've heard so many amazing ways that God works, and God will do whatever it takes to reach you wherever you are. There may be somebody here this morning, and that's exactly where you're at. You, you would desperately want a relationship with Christ if he would just reveal himself. And I'm telling you, if you're seeking him, he'll find you. Uh, I was 16 years old, and I was at a church camp of all places. And actually, I only had my mind on one thing, and it was the girl that I had my arm around, and I wanted the speaker to get his message over with because we had campfire, very spiritual kid, because campfire is when you could, you could kiss, you know. So anyway, uh, so that's really, to be honest with you, 16, that's what was on my mind, and I'm kind of like, yeah, this guy needs to shut up, you know, and it wasn't a guy getting up to preach at all, it was actually a gal uh, that was battling cancer, and she said, you know, I've got about a year to live. And uh, she started her story, and I mean, she, you talk about piercing my heart. And then there was this huge football player that came up after that, and he went about five minutes. And his whole message was, the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for you. What are you going to do about it? And I mean, it was like God's like, buddy, you better wake up. And I remember running, just crying my eyes out under this grove of trees. And I will tell you, that's where God met me head on. Now, what's interesting it didn't affect anybody else the same way that it affected me. Because that's what God does. He knows exactly what he has to do to draw you to him. And I love the fact that here's these, these leaders and they're so focused on the sacred text and they see the star and they'll do whatever it takes to find this king and they travel to find him. It's such a commitment of time. And the Magi, they teach us some amazing things that we're going to get into in just a moment. The other thing is I love about the time that they spent is the arrival. Now, this is a controversial point, too. Uh, if you look at the Christmas cards, and 
Matter of fact, I was driving through the neighborhood looking at Christmas displays the other day, and I, I always see the shepherds, and you see the magi, and they have the gifts. How many of you have seen that? So in your mind, you always picture in that one night that uh, uh, Mary and Joseph had the baby, and all of a sudden the angels rolled in, the shepherds rolled in, and the magi rolled in, and there was a little drummer boy in there. I think Frosty was in the background. I mean, everybody came to the party. But that's really not, if you look at the timeline, that's not what happened at all. Uh, the shepherds came in that night, but the Magi, we know this from Scripture, they showed up somewhere from the time Jesus was 41 days old, you can look in text, or two years old. And the reason we can put the timeline at two is, do you remember what Herod did when the Magi came to him? Uh, he was scared to death that there was a king in his presence of Israel, and he killed all the babies, two and under. So here's the big question. How in the world uh, did they find this, whatever it was, this little home that Mary and Joseph were in with this baby? And that's where God comes in. And that's where he meets all of us. We can't explain it. But we know that God miraculously found a way for them to find their way to the Christ child. Now, there's another question about the Magi. It's a deep question, deep theological question. Uh, and it's an observation, is what if they were women instead of men? So I read this about it. What if the women, what if the Magi were women instead of men? And uh, here's what I heard. Uh, first of all, it wouldn't have taken them so long, they would have stopped more than once to ask for directions. Uh, they would have arrived on time. They would have helped deliver the baby Jesus, cleaned the stable, made a casserole, and given practical gifts. Now, that is what would have happened if it were women that were the Magi. Let's look at timeless lessons this morning. There's two timeless lessons we can learn from the Magi that I love. Here's the first one, that the Magi wanted to be part of something bigger than themselves. Look in your holy scriptures this morning, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, the Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star. Don't you love that? His star. And when it rose, we have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be shepherd of my people. Imagine that. And you can see why Herod is disturbed. Herod is obsessed and he's prideful. And he has the political title of leader or king. But they come in and they're like, no, no, no. There is a king who is the Messiah. And it will change everything but I love the Magi's attitude. They wanted to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And God has created all of us this desire to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10 says, two are always better than one. So if somebody falls, there's always somebody there to pick them up. God built us to be together. God is not about solo sports. He's all about team. That's why the church is such a powerful vehicle, because it's God's way of saying, we need each other. That's what the church is all about. It's that we come together and we worship 
the king, but we also realize we need each other to get through life. God built us for community. And I love the fact that they were willing, really, to risk their lives, but they didn't do it by themselves. They did it in community. I mean, think of these magi, all those hundreds of miles and those discussions as they traveled, thinking, do you think we're going to be able to see the king and doing whatever it took? And I think their courage came from community. Uh, when you were a kid, did you ever get in trouble? My mom used to say this, like, did you come up with that by yourself? And I would always blame somebody else. And you know what? Because when you get in a group, aren't you willing to do something you would never have done by yourself? Well, it works in a positive way, too, that the church can pull together. And as a group, think what you can do. And here's the other part that I love, the life lesson from the Magi, is the ripple effect of their time and the ripple effect of their gifts. Have you ever wondered where that whole tradition of giving gifts came from? Uh, I really believe it came all the way back to these these amazing individuals that brought gifts for Christ. And what were the three gifts, everybody? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Every one of those are incredibly symbolic. The gold is something you would present to a king. Frankincense is what the priest would use for worship. And anybody know what they used myrrh for? For burial. And we know that Mary cherished this in her heart. Why? Because it's more than just a gift. It's what it represented. That she truly had the Christ child. I believe with all my heart that the gift that they gave that day is a gift for all of us. And it's the power of time. Now, this is a side note. Uh, a year or so ago, I was in a kind of a deep level study in the life of Christ. And the professor uh, said, uh, those gifts that the, the Magi brought... What do you think Mary and Joseph did with those gifts? And we're like, well, I have no idea. I'm sure Mary just, maybe she had Joseph made a cabinet and put some stuff. I don't, you know, there's no idea. So where did, where did they take the Christ child until Herod died? Remember? They went to Egypt. Well, you can't just live in Egypt free. So I think what happened is, for lack of a better word, I think they liquidated some of that for money. To live. I really do. I think that they were practical. And I think Mary, I think Joseph was like, now we have everything we need to move completely away from our family and we can survive as long as God wants us to survive. I think it's amazing how God can take a gift and there's a ripple effect. And think of the greatest gifts that you've ever received, the greatest gifts that you've ever given. And at the end of the day, is there anything greater than something that there's time involved? Uh, I was talking to Marie the other day. I don't know if I'm going to pull this off or not, but I wanna, I'm thinking about making a little card for each one of my kids and just saying, uh, I commit to have a $100 day with you, each one of you, one-on-one. -on -one. You, we can do whatever you want. Now, I know you're like, you can't do much for 100 bucks. I'm a minister. That's the best I'm going to do, you know. But, but I, I want to set aside time to just have focused time because what's the deal? This is what matters more than anything else is time. What are we willing to do with the time, this gift that God has given us? 1 Corinthians 15, 58. I love this. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 
Pastor Ernest Stansifer said this, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. What are we willing to give for Christ? And I hope going into this next year, you'll answer, Lord, I'll give you my time. Because that's what he wants more than anything else. I want to close this morning with, it was a birthday party I read about, and it reminds me of time. And uh, the woman who wrote it is, a, is, a, is, a, is an author, and her name is Evelyn Benson. And it was her 50th birthday. And she said, uh, I had some friends that had this party for me, and a good friend of mine uh, who put this party, this dinner party together, but honestly, I did not want to go because I didn't want to celebrate being 50. Now, when you put zeros at the end of birthdays, at t- and there comes a moment. I remember my 50th. I- I'm not a big, let's have a big party, but I remember going on a long walk the day I turned 50, and for some reason, I'm like, dude, I am feeling old. I mean, I'm talking to myself. I'm like, no, you don't feel old. You are getting old. You know, I mean, I went through all this stuff. And then when I got back home, the kids were like, Dad, you're like 50. You know, and then it's only going to get worse. You know, so you go through this state, and that's what she's feeling. So here she goes in for this party, and she looks out the window of this home right before dinner, and she sees these little girls, about eight or nine years old, uh, playing jump rope. And that just put her in a deeper funk. She's like, I remember, just like yesterday, being able to jump rope. And if I tried to do that now, I'd kill myself. You know, so she's going in this deep depression. And then she said, and a miraculous thing happened on the dinner table, something that women never do. You want to guess what they did? Every woman around the table shared their age and what they weighed. That's a lie. They didn't do that. No, no. That would be a miracle. Okay, anyway, they went around the table and each one, and she realized every woman at that table was older than her. And the woman that brought her this amazing woman named Betty, who never talked about her age, who just was so full of life, was 85. And she leaned over and she said, I can't believe I'm feeling sorry for myself. And Betty, you are always just so excited about life when you're 85. I would have never guessed you were 85. And Betty said, well, I'll tell you when it all changed for me. Remember when you looked out the window and there was those little girls? I saw you. They're about eight or nine years old. When I was eight, eight or nine years old, I was a tomboy. And uh, little girls aren't supposed to climb trees. They're not supposed to play king of the hill. But I could care less what anybody else said. I love to climb trees. I love to play king of the hill. Because when I would get to the top of a hill or the top of a tree, everything changed. I could see things and experience things that nobody else could experience. And I've never in my heart stopped climbing trees and hills. 85 is a number. Jan Johnson's like that. And I love to be around folks that an age is a number because you cherish every day. And I want all of you to realize that you have the most precious gift that God could possibly give you today, time. And that the most precious gift that you can give others is time.